The Lord calls us to worship this morning from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for this Lord's day that you have given us to worship in your presence, to gather as your people, to lift up songs of praise and adoration and thanksgiving to you. For you are our God, the Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And we thank you that we may gather on this day as we anticipate a new year upcoming, that in it we might walk before you in righteousness and holiness. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit even this day as we worship before you, that all that is said and done would be for your glory alone, that we would lift up the name of our God, and that we would praise you from hearts that are full of thanksgiving. And Lord, we join our hearts together as one voice, and also pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning, for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. If you'd like to turn there, it's in the green hymnal on page 845. I'm going to ask you as we recite this together, because this is a statement of our faith. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For all who look to the Lord by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for the merit of their forgiveness, hear the assurance of God's pardon of your sins from Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. 
May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and to fulfill your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord now by taking your hymnal and turn to number 170 as we sing together, Fairest Lord Jesus. As I mentioned in our announcement time before our service, uh, this morning we are privileged uh, by the Lord in His providence to celebrate the sacrament of baptism. In just a few moments, I'm going to call uh, Jay and Caroline and Anna Payton forward, but I wanted to give just a few, uh, in a few minutes, a very brief um, review, if you will, of what baptism is, why we practice infant baptism here, what we believe that it signifies and seals 
and why it is important and necessary as, as a means of grace in the life of the church. It was instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the seal of his covenant of grace to his people and of our engrafting into Christ, our union with him, the remission of our sins being cleansed by his blood, that we have been regenerated, brought to new life because of him, that we have been adopted and brought into his family and have received the gift of eternal life, that we will live forever in the presence of our Savior. The water in baptism represents and signifies the blood of Christ, which takes away our guilt, our original sin and actual sins, and the sanctifying virtue of the Spirit of Christ against the dominion of sin. There is much grace to behold and celebrate and wonder at in this sacrament of baptism. As we baptize with, with sprinkling or pouring water here at Lebanon, it signifies that we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus alone, and that only because of the merit of Christ may God's children be forgiven their sins. It's not in the act itself. We don't point to it as a time that we believe Anna Payton is saved today, but we look in faith to the work that God will do. You might consider baptism a naming ceremony where God puts his name upon Anna Payton. It's not something that she decides to do. It's not because her parents have decided to be obedient to the Lord's command that he promises that it will be a means of grace. We believe that this baptism is a way that he puts his name on her and promises his covenant allegiance to her as he does to all of his children. This is a blessed day. It is a wonderful day. It also signifies to Anna Payton the inward grace. Not that we believe in the moment of pouring water that he pours out his grace upon her. But it signifies the inward grace of God's work in the life of his people. What a blessed day that this is that we get to celebrate with she and with her family. I want to encourage all of you who have been baptized that you would consider your own baptism in this. Your baptism is not just an event that you look back to. It is also something that the Bible says that we are to improve upon, even in our own uh, tradition, in our Reformed faith. We believe that our baptism is to be improved upon. It speaks to us. It's a reminder to us that God has put his name on us, that we belong to him, that we owe him all love and honor and worship and obedience, that we are to strive by faith in putting to death the deeds of sin and the work of Satan. So at this time, I'd like to call um, Jay and Caroline and Anna Payton forward. Please join me up here. You've got some smiles. <laughs> well, Jane, Caroline, it is a truly a, a privilege and a joy to celebrate this day with you. I want to encourage you um, that this is a, a means of grace in your family's life, in your daughter's life, and I want to encourage you with some scripture verses uh, from the New Testament, from Acts chapter 2, verse 39, as you think about what this day means and what this 
this act of baptism represents, we are doing this by faith, that the promise of God belongs to Anna Peyton as it does to you and to your family. For this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far, far off, as many as our Lord will call unto himself. God's promise in the book of Genesis. This is his promise to his people, that I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and your generations for an everlasting covenant to be your God and to all your descendants after you. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So at this time, I'm going to ask you some questions. These are solemn vows that they are making before the Lord in your presence. But these are vows that they are making before their Heavenly Father. Jay and Caroline, do you acknowledge your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you? Yes. Jay and Caroline, do you claim God's covenant promises on her behalf? And do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for her salvation as you do your own? Do you? Jade Caroline, do you now unreservedly dedicate Anna Payton to the Lord and promise in humble reliance upon the divine grace that God gives that you will endeavor to set before her a godly example, that you will pray with and for her, that you will teach her the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, do you? And now I have a question for you, our congregation, the members of Lebanon Presbyterian Church. This is also your solemn vow before the Lord and before these Christian parents. Do you, the congregation of Lebanon Presbyterian Church, undertake the responsibility of assisting these parents in the Christian nurture of this child, Anna Peyton Joyner? Do you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for the blessing of this sacrament, for what it signs and seals unto each of your children, and particularly today to Anna Peyton Joyner. Lord, I pray that you would bless these waters of baptism. We know that the efficacy of this sign is not in how it is done now, or even in these particular waters, but it is blessed unto us as a means of grace that we would consider and think through all that it means that you have put your name upon us. We lift up to you, Lord Anna Payton, that this would be a time that she can look back to and say, the Lord chose me, the Lord made me his child, and may it be a blessing to her. And Lord, we do pray for Jay and Caroline that you would give them all the gifts and grace and mercy that they need to raise her to know you, that she would cry out to you at a young age and make profession of faith. Lord, I pray that you would bless them as Christian parents, as they go through difficulties and trials, that you would be close to them. And may we as a congregation, those who have taken these vows together, that we would support them and love them and care for them the best that we can, by your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. this day, for the blessing of this sacrament, 
And I raise up to you, Anna Payton, Lord, that you would raise her up to be a godly woman, that she would serve you in her generation, that according to your providence and your plan, if she is to be a mother, that she would be a godly mother that sets before her children a godly example of a woman dedicated to the Lord. Would you do this for your glory alone? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Congratulations. You did great. Thank you, guys. So typically when we have a baptism, we do that in lieu of our children's sermon. But I wanted to ask our children, since we just did a baptism, children... What just happened? What just happened? What did you just see? Any of you? Samuel. Baptism. Baptism. And what did we do to Anna Payton besides get her a little bit wet? Anybody? What did you just see? I thought I saw a hand. Adults, what did we just see? Dedication. Dedication of a child to the Lord, Samuel. A part of the body of Christ. A part of the body of Christ. We participated in this together. May you remember your own baptism today. May you remember the Lord's grace. It wasn't anything magical, was it, children? There, there weren't fireworks, there weren't flashing lights or smoke. This is part of the, the veil of the sacraments. There's not something that flashes. It is a sign and seal of the inward work of God in his people. And may you remember that about your own. You might say one day, well, I don't really feel baptized. I don't really feel like there's a grace of God in me. And may the Lord sanctify to you that truth is more than what you feel. This morning for our responsive reading... We're going to read together out loud Psalm 23. It's on page 791 in your green hymnal. Let's turn there together. <coughs> page 791, Psalm 23. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's stand together now for hymn, sing together hymn number 199, See Amid the Winter Snow.
This morning for our pastoral prayer time, I wanted to pray for uh, those in our church family who are going through sickness and illness at this time. I also wanted to pray for Brennan and Becca McCafferty. They sent a, a very a wonderful update this past week. I wanted to pray for them specifically as they uh, raise their children and as they seek to do the Lord's work in Cambodia, in a different part of the world, in a different place. They're raising children, they're uh, working They are interacting with other people. They're doing all the things that you do, but they're doing it in a different place. And I wanted to pray for them that the Lord would encourage their hearts, that he would meet their needs, and and also for all of our missionaries as they end um, this year, 2023, that they would look in faith to see the Lord provide for them in the year to come. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you that we may call upon you and call you Father. That we may come to you as children, as sons and daughters of the living God. That we may raise up our hearts and our petitions and requests to you. And that we do so by faith knowing that not only do you hear us, but in your almighty power, in your sovereign hand, according to your great will, you will answer in your perfect time. We thank you, Lord, that we pray knowing this, even though many times our hearts are frail, our faith is weak, and many times we wonder and doubt. And we confess that doubt to you today, Lord, that there are times that we forget all of the benefits, as we heard this morning in the call to worship. We do forget all of the benefits that we have in you. There are times that we don't look upon Christ and see in him the beauty and the desire of our hearts. We look away. We hide our faces. You come to us in your word and and we don't know you. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us of our sins and that you would encourage our hearts to come to you by faith as we pray. We lift up to you those in our church family who are going through physical struggles and health issues and challenges. Some who are even here today, even in spite of those things, They are here worshiping you and fellowshipping with your people. And they are doing so at a cost to themselves. And we pray, Lord, that you would encourage their hearts. Be with those in our church family who are suffering from spiritual sickness. Who are going through difficult times. Who do not feel the closeness of the Lord as they once did. Who do not have the light in reading your word. And that praying for them is very hard and difficult. Lord, I pray that you would bless your people. With your spirit. And Lord, I lift up to you, Brennan and Becca McCafferty, and our other missionaries as they finish this year, as they look back at the things that you have done. May they have joy and delight in knowing that everything that you desired for them to accomplish has taken place because you give your people the strength to do it. And Lord, I pray that you would help them as they look in faith to this new year ahead, just as each of us do. I pray that you would give them great faith to know that you will provide for all their needs financially and even in their family relationally. You will you will bind up what is broken hearted in them. And Lord, I do pray for Brendan and Becca as they interact with their housekeeper, as they interact with the youth and young people from local the local school, as Brennan works with a, a local pastor. I pray, Lord, that you would spare their their home from health issues. I pray that you would give them great faith in you. Help them in the day-to-day mundane things to see it as holy before you because you have given them this life. 
And Lord, I pray for each of our missionaries, whether they're in transition, whether they are at home, whether they are on the field, that you would bless them, that you would encourage their hearts, that they would be open and honest with those that care for them about any depression that they might have and the pressure that they feel to perform and do well and to be successful. May they serve with joy before you and may they get the the emotional and spiritual support they need to serve you with great joy and delight. Lord, I pray for us as we are about to open our Bibles to hear your word read and proclaimed that we might hear these words not as the words of a man, but as the words of the living God for his people. May we be fed by them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Matthew, chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12 this morning. Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. As we close 2023, I wanted to end this series, The Coming of the King, with one last sermon entitled, Responses to the King. Our celebrations as a church family have been particularly meaningful this year uh, for me and for my family. And I want to say personally thank you to all of you who have helped in one way or another, whether seen or not seen, in celebrating this Christmas season. It was a beautiful, wonderful time to be together as God's people, to celebrate and to worship, to rehearse the story, to sing, to fellowship together. What a blessed time it has been as a church family. I pray that the Lord has used all of these things to stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, as the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, that as we think about all of these things and what we have rehearsed as we read the Scriptures, 
that you would remember the Lord Jesus Christ himself and him coming into the world to be the savior of sinners. The nativity story is personal for the church. It's also personal for us as individuals. It's one thing to think about it, to sing songs, to see a wonderful play that our children did for us in their costumes and to open our hymnals and to sing the Christmas, Christmas hymns. But we do this not for the sake of nostalgia, but to remember that he, Jesus, really came. That for God's glory, he came to lift up himself as the savior of his people on the cross to redeem his people. He came for you and for me. He put on flesh and bones for us, the son of God. I want to consider this morning your response and my response to Jesus the King. I'm not talking about your response to religion or morality or good living. I'm asking you to consider this morning Jesus the person. Do you know him? Are you responding to him? The Bible says that you are. This morning we'll look at this passage under three headings. The first is three types of responses to Jesus. Point number two, the kingdom of God. And lastly, point number three, what about you? Point number one, three types of responses to Jesus. You see them very clearly and neatly in this passage. The first response from Herod is hostility and hatred. In verse three, it says that he was troubled. In verse eight, he lies and feigns worship. He wants the wise men to go and find this young child so that he can go and worship him. But then in verses 16 to 18, after he finds out that the wise men left and aren't coming to bring back word to him, he goes into a rage and massacres every child in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas. Every child, two years and younger, all the boys. That fast, gone. And it said that there was a wailing and a crying in the towns because of the loss of children. Herod was so evil that he even killed his own wife and a couple of his sons because he was so eager to hold on to his power there was no limit to which he would not go this is one of the responses to Jesus hostility and hatred how could this one this baby be born king it caused an issue in Herod to rise up fear in John chapter 15 verses 18 and 23 Jesus said to his disciples if the world hates you, it hated me before it hated you. He who hates me hates my father also. This is a response to Jesus. We see this very clearly in our world today. There is fear over there being anyone who might have a claim on our life, who would say that there is a God in heaven who has a right to rule your life the way that he desires, who brings about things into your life that aren't always nice and feel good, that things aren't always wonderful, that there might be someone who's in charge of trials and blessings that I owe my worship and my allegiance to. There's something in each of us that rises up. It's a hostility. And that was in Herod. It was hatred. His interest was in self-preservation and power alone. And he flew into a rage when he wasn't in control, when he perceived someone else was in charge. We see another response in this passage. It's pretty clear. There's cold and indifferent hearts in the chief priests and the scribes. In verses 4 to 6, 
After Herod called them into court and asked them questions, this would have been calling together the Sadducees and the scribes and bringing them together, people who were on different spectrums in the religious world. And he called them into his presence and they gave him accurate data without any sense of abiding truth in their hearts at all. You might say, well, wait a minute. They got the sword drill right, preacher. They got the verse right. They went to the right one. Micah 5, 2. They knew where Jesus, the Messiah, was to be born. Why would you say they got it wrong? You just said they got it right. How could they get it wrong? John chapter 5, verses 37 to 39. Jesus says, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. I think the scribes and the Pharisees drank up the attention that Herod gave. I imagine they went home that night. They sat around the table. They said, wife, children, we were called into Herod's court today. We were asked a question, and you won't believe it. We knew the answer. We came up with it, and even those Sadducees agreed with us. Today was a day of days. We thought we would be important, and we were. They had an elevated sense, I believe, of self-importance here. They were used and dismissed by Herod. He got what he wanted. He wasn't interested in the Christ. He wasn't interested in the Messiah. He needed information and that's what he got. These people, the scribes and the Pharisees, and think about ourselves. They had the gospel advantage of the word. They knew the exact passage to go to when a question about the Christ came up. But they were entirely unmoved to go and worship. Entirely unmoved to consider maybe this one who has been born in Bethlehem who I've heard this stir about. Maybe he is the king. Maybe he is the Christ. And maybe we could afford to take the six mile journey and go find out. But apparently, as quickly as they came into this passage, they quickly leave it. Lastly, the third response. First is hostility and hatred as we see in Herod. Cold and indifferent hearts in the scribes and the Pharisees. Lastly, the wise men. Unbelievably, faith and worship. The third response. In verses 1 to 2, they had come to the palace of Herod inquiring, what other place would you have gone if a king had been born? You go to the place where the king lives. They go to the palace and wonder of wonders, the king is not there. Herod is there, but the king is not there. And so in verses 9 through 11, after hearing the information, hearing the word of God, they go and, and worship before him. And then it says in verse 12 that they were alerted in a dream that they shouldn't go back to Herod. So they obeyed and they went the other way. God's hand is unmistakable in this story of the wise men, these magi. Likely our nativity stories and the scenes that we have, if you have the shepherds and the wise men, Worshipping there together, likely there was a, a period of time between when the shepherds came and when the wise men came. Some estimate that these men, these wise men, traveled some 800 miles to worship the king, the Christ child who had been born. God's hand is unmistakable in their travels 
in the star that appeared in the heavens and in the dreams. All of this was ordained by God that these wise men might have an encounter with the Christ, the Messiah. These men were professionals in their own area. These were not hacks. These men were educated. They served usually in courts of their own. They gave advice and gave their opinion based on facts and figures. And they traveled over 800 miles by faith and worshipped before Jesus. It is the most unlikely scene of scenes. You have a king who hates Jesus. You have chief priests and scribes who are indifferent and cold to him. So he was born. Oh well, we can't be bothered by that. And then these wise men who are not part of the covenant community, who are not part of what you would consider Christianity at the time, and they are going, and not only do they go and worship him, but they go and bring gifts, as was fitting when meeting a king. And they fall down on the ground and worship before him. All of this ordained by God. They wanted to see who had been born king of the Jews. And how many of us have trouble even trusting Google Maps or Siri? And they were willing to follow a star. This was God's hand. It was his work. So number two, the kingdom of God. I want us to notice this morning, it's easy to miss maybe, that the centrality of God's word in this story even though the chief priests and the scribes seemed to be unmoved and cold, it was because of the word of God that they knew where to go. Yes, they followed the star. It led them to the palace. They met Herod. They heard what the the scribes and the Pharisees had to say. But it was because of the chief priests and the scribes coming to speak the word of God. He had used it for his own purposes. They needed the scriptures to point them in the right direction. They weren't going to find Jesus without them. God may employ means of all extraordinary kinds in each of our lives to draw us to himself. But he always, always brings his children to the word of God. Always to the Bible in order that we encounter the living word, his son. There is no other way to God except by Christ Jesus, the son of God, who is revealed to us in the word of God. Next, I want you to consider just for a moment the worldwide kingdom of God and what's taking place here. This gospel is not just something that was for the professional types like Herod, not for the religious people like the scribes and the Pharisees. These wise men were from the east. Consider the birth announcement that took place. The angels coming and revealing the the story of what's about to happen to Mary and to Joseph. And to the shepherds in the field and everything that's happening. This is why when Jesus was brought into the temple after the days of purification. That Simeon said in Luke chapter 2 verse 32 that this was good news of God's salvation. He said that Jesus coming into the world was the light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. People who did not know the gospel. Who were outside of the covenant. They were hearing of God's goodness. And it was to be the glory of God's people, Israel, that Jesus had come into the world. The Christmas story reminds us, it shouts to us, there are not multiple ways to God. Jesus came as the only hope of salvation for everyone, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. 
I want to ask you this morning, is the God that you worship a tribal God only because you grew up hearing about Jesus and the church? Is your attendance this morning because it's simply what we do in Lebanon? I want to share with you an address that our PCA stated clerk Brian Chapel gave at the 2022 General Assembly stated clerk's report. He spoke about a man, a pastor named Wang Yi in China who was anticipating his imprisonment in 2019 because he was preaching the gospel without a permit. He was a Bible-believing, Presbyterian-rooted pastor of the Early Reign Church Covenant in China. And he wrote this, If the God that you believe in is only the God of Chengdu, where he was preaching, then he is a tribal God, and places that you will never visit exist outside of the meaning of your life. However, the church does not worship a tribal God, but rather the fullness of him who fills all in all. If your master is the master of the entire universe, then the whole universe is your sphere of operation. Although you live and move and exist in only one corner of the universe, every part of the world is meaningful for your mission. Dear Christians here at Lebanon, you are participating by faith in God's gospel ministry, not only here and in your homes, as you go in and out of your day, participating in what may be considered to be the mundane tasks of life, we also as a church family are participating in the worldwide spread of the gospel as we support missionaries, as we love one another, as we encourage one another with the gospel. We are encouraging our hearts not to see that our lives and our homes are all that exist but that there are people around the world who need to hear the gospel. Beloved, do you believe that there are people in Fairfield County, people who live on your street who need to hear the gospel? They need to hear the good news that the Christ child was born, that he came and lived a perfect, sinless life for his people. So you don't have to be perfect. No one expects that you are. And in fact, we all know that you aren't. Jesus came to redeem you from that, to die for the sins of his people that he might be lifted up for the praise and glory of his heavenly father. That's the gospel that we hope in. We do not serve a tribal God. We gather as God's people, the church, to lift up worship to the only king, the only one who ever existed. I want to ask you this morning, what about you? Where are you this morning in this story? Likely you don't identify with Herod. Likely you don't hate the church. Or hate the Lord Jesus Christ. And likely you don't hate those sitting beside you. But I want to ask you. Are you overflowing with rejoicing in your heart. At this Christmas season. At what it represents. That Jesus came into the world. I want to encourage you dear believer. If that is you. If this has been a blessed season of remembrance. Of the Savior. Your King. Coming into the world. Praise the Lord. Wonder at his love, at his condescension to you to come into this world, to be clothed with humanity, to see what it is to be a man and to die on the cross, a brutal, horrible death, and to raise victoriously over the grave and is now seated in the heavenlies, having accomplished everything that his father desired for him to do. If that is you, praise the Lord. I rejoice with you. But if you would say this morning, if I'm honest, I may be a little bit indifferent to Jesus. 
I'm a little bit indifferent and maybe just living in a bit of unbelief that a baby being born could come into this world, that this story that we talk about, isn't it just something that we do so our children can be occupied for about four weeks every year? Maybe I just don't know if I really believe it. I want you to consider it this morning. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you are living in unbelief and indifference towards Jesus, the right response, the proper response, the only response according to the scriptures, according to Acts 2.38, is that we repent. That we repent of our unbelief. That we repent of being indifferent to Jesus. That we repent of reading His Word and walking away or setting aside prayer or the means of grace. Deciding there are more important things to do than worship the living God. Acts 2.38 says, Repent that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The Bible is saying in those verses that there are no other times of refreshing. We live in a time where people are desperate to quiet the noise. To turn down the volume, to get out away from the, the, the racket and the people of bills and everybody's I want. And we are desperate for quiet. And I believe part of that is because we are unwilling as a people to stand before God in the silence. And we need racket and we need toys and we need things to do in order to feel important, to, to carve out and get away from God. C.S. Lewis wrote, if you want to get away and be apart from God, then turn up the volume, fill your schedule, be busy, chase money, chase sex, chase relationships, chase everything else, but do not go to God. What about you this morning? I want to encourage you, dear church, consider God's path in your life. And I don't mean look at the commandments and see all the reasons why you know you're not perfect. You already know that. God's word shows you you're not. But I want to encourage you this morning, dear people of God, maybe you feel a weight and a sense of, of guilt. My life isn't just turning out the way that I thought it would. I want to encourage you this morning with some words from Oswald Chambers that you are not the center of your own story. The world tells you you are. Figure yourself out. You have to make your own way. No one can tell you what it is. But the Bible says you are not the center of your own story. Young people, the weight of the world is not on your shoulders. You don't have to make a name for yourself. And you don't have to live up to other people's expectations. You are not the center of your story. God is. And the glory of God in your life is. And He will bring it to pass. If He can lead wise men from the east 800 miles to find Jesus, He can certainly take care of your life and he will. Dear Christian, do you remember who you once were? Before the knowledge of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14. Do you remember who you once were? It says that at one time we were without Christ. We were strangers to the church. We were alien to the covenants of God. We had no hope and were without God in this world. And there are people who are dying and going to hell every day, and that's a reality. But there are also people who are stepping into glory every day. 
that God is calling his children home and he is faithful. I ask you, dear Christian, do you remember who you once were? In God's kindness and wisdom, the scriptures repeatedly remind us and call us back to this place to sit in some silence, to sit before the Lord and to remember his promises, to look again at his promises and his faithfulness to us. Psalm 103, which we read this morning in our call to worship. In verse 14, it says that he, your heavenly father and mine, knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. Your heavenly father knows what you are like. We easily forget our minds wander. And we can even be cool hearted children towards God. And the result is that when we should have greater confidence in our lives, because our heavenly father has made promises and he has kept them to each of us in the course of our lives. Think about your life. I don't mean in the abstract God's promises and his goodness. I mean, think about your life and his faithfulness. Even in this last week to you, he has kept his promises. Not one of them has fallen down, but we so easily forget them. And we become spiritual and like people who lose their physical appetite. No appetite for God, no appetite for his word or for prayer or for gathering as the church. Not realizing that just like people who don't eat, we become unwell and we are bewildered then. What happened to us? Why am I weak and lacking in energy? Why do I not have any fervency for the Lord, any love for him or for his people? It is quite a challenge as God's people to consider how easily it is that we forget. Why did he save you, dear Christian? Why is he sanctifying you? Why is he making you more like Jesus? He's doing it for his own glory, for one another, his people, the church, and for a witness to the people around us that the baby who came is the baby who rose again from the dead, the Savior, Christ the Lord. We are to be a witness to His grace and His mercy. Oswald Chambers wrote in a devotion, You are not your own. God breaks up the private lives of His saints and makes it a thoroughfare for the world on the one hand and for Himself on the other. No human being can stand that unless he is identified with Jesus Christ. We are not sanctified for ourselves. We are called into the fellowship of the gospel. And things happen which have nothing to do with us. God is getting us into fellowship with himself. There are times when your pain is unmistakable, but it is also unanswerable. You have no idea why God may be bringing something into your life, but it's the same unmistakable thing about the praises and the joys too. If you look at your life and you say, look at my success, look at my financial goals, look at the way I have achieved. You can't look at yourself and find the reason why. God is the reason and only he knows why he chose to do it. But whether he gives you plenty or gives you little, he promises to be your God and to be for you and to care for you in the midst of everything. Dear church people, I implore you, consider your walk with the Lord Jesus Today, ask God for grace and mercy to build up your faith in him, to increase your joy in him. And may this enrich your worship in this day and in the year to come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a, a wonder it is for us, your people, to stand here this morning, to hear of your promises and your providence.
and your goodness to us. We repeat the words of David, who am I that you would give these great and precious promises to us? That you would send your son into this world to die for my sins. That you would say that I could be part of your family. That you would give me the adoption to sit at your table. These things are too wonderful and too high for us to even fathom. We pray that you might build us up in our faith. Lord, I pray for your people that they would have the time to sit before you. How is my walk with my father? How is my allegiance to the king? Am I really walking with him or am I faking it? And I pray for your people that you would give them the gift of repentance in areas of unbelief and lack of love for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word by singing As With Gladness Minable, number 226.
Thank you, Callie. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you and we praise you for the ways that you have blessed each of us richly in spiritually and also in physically and financial ways. What a joy it is to give from our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us great joy and delight in participating in this act of worship in the middle of this service, that we would raise up our hearts to you. And may we look to you in faith as you promise to provide for your children. May each of us see you doing so in our lives as we are obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. right before the benediction, and I wanted to encourage um, all of our folks who are staying for lunch, please let those who are older among us go first as a sign of honor and love and appreciation for them. Young people, there will be plenty of food. Don't race in front of them. Let me say a brief prayer of thanks for our lunch. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate and fellowship together your blessings over us. We pray that you would bless our fifth Sunday lunch, that it would be a, a time of great joy and delight. And may it be our honor as we see those who are older among us go first, as we see them and the ways that you have blessed them. May we look to them and learn. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Receive the benediction of our Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses and he told Aaron and his sons, this is the way you shall bless my people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Amen. Amen.